Rest and sleep are uh, are pretty hot topics in our society at the moment. Uh, There's certainly big topics when it comes to uh, counselling and people who are struggling with things like depression and anxiety because they know there's a correlation between someone's mental well-being and the amount that they actually sleep. There was uh, probably one of the funnier articles that I've ever seen on this kind of topic actually came out in the Courier-Mail some years ago and I thought I'd read you a section out of this article uh, and I think it'll make sense as to why it's so funny. You can't quite see that, but um, I'll read it out to you. It says, people were suffering intelligence deprivation through not having enough sleep, Sinus said yesterday. So everyone, you all need to think about Gilmore when I read this. All right? <laughs> just told you all about it. The lure of the 24-hour society means adults and children are going to bed later than ever before, putting intelligence, relationships and even lives at risk. According to the latest research, missing one... Missing out on one hour of the essential eight hours sleep each night lowers IQ by one point the next day. (laughs) That means someone of an average IQ of 100 struggling to get by on just five or six hours a night will be borderline retarded by the end of the working week. (laughs) I'll let you make your conclusions. It's it's a big deal, isn't it? The uh, the whole thing about rest... um, And I just want to have a look at it today. And the title of the message today is Thou Shalt Rest. This is a fascinating command. It's a fascinating command. Today we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the origin of the Sabbath, the meaning of the Sabbath, and what Jesus means when he says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. First one is this, the origin of the Sabbath. Mark 2.23, it says, One Sabbath, he, Jesus, is going through the grain fields. Well, what is a Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath was inaugurated by God at creation. And the Sabbath typically, uh, from the start, was actually on a Saturday. Um, Have a look at uh, rest in the context of Genesis. Um, I'm not going to read those because they're all exactly the same, but in the creation account in Genesis, there's this repeating theme that God um, winds up each day with. It says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. He did all this stuff and then there was evening and morning. And then he did this and then there was evening and there was morning. And right at the end of it, there's a break in the pattern. In Genesis 2, verse 1 to 3, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. There's a real break there in terms of the pattern that's actually going on. And I could ask the question of you now, I wonder whether you're thinking right now, whether, why, why is God resting? Because we know that God doesn't get tired. Why is he resting? What kind of rest is this? And I think Tim Keller has suggested the kind of rest that God's got here is the kind of rest when someone's completely happy with everything that they've done and they don't need to do anything else. One of the uh, things that I often said in my uh, career as a teacher is there's as much work to do as a teacher as you want to do. And it's almost like you never, ever quite get to the end of it. You kind of do it and then you kind of think, well, I could redo that bit because that could be better. Um, And it's a bit the same, to be honest, in uh, leading a church in the time that I do for the church. There's a lot of people who think the only time I work is right now on Sunday mornings. Uh, But there's stacks of stuff to do and there doesn't seem to be an end. And there doesn't seem to be a point where you get to the end like God and just go, okay, everything's exactly the way that I wanted it to be and I can just set it aside and I can leave it. 
The really interesting thing, we're going to get back to this later, the really interesting thing about this is at the start, when everything was perfect, do you notice here that there's not, there doesn't seem to be a conclusion to the seventh day? Do you notice that? Like every other day, it's like, um, and it was evening and morning, the seventh, uh, sixth day, the fifth day, the fourth day, the third day. But on the seventh day, it's kind of like everything's set up and there's going to be almost perpetual rest. Do you get that sense of from what God's up to? It's like everything's the way I want it to be. And, and there's a sense like that's just going to continue. Well, coming out of that starting point in terms of the Sabbath is uh, the whole Jewish thing about the Sabbath. And you'll be quite surprised, um, maybe if you haven't looked into this stuff, about some of the laws and regulation, regulations that come about regarding the Sabbath. So the big one is um, obviously the Decalogue, the, uh, the Ten Commandments. Listen to this. This is what God reveals to Moses remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God on it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner uh, who is within your gates for in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth the sea and all that is in them and he rested on the seventh day therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy really interesting stuff Moses is just God saying listen I just want you to be like me that's what he's saying you you have you need to have a Sabbath day off you need to be like me there's other the Old Testament goes on in Exodus 23 verse 12 listen to this six days you shall do your work but on the seventh day you shall rest that your ox and your donkey may have rest and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed this is really curious. You know what I find particularly curious about this? Is God's making rules about you not doing anything. And this is part of, I reckon this is part of the bond, and I'll get into this a little bit more later on. This is part of the bond of the Sabbath. Like as soon as you start talking about God wants you to have a day off, everyone's going, oh, there's something else I need to do. You're just going, well, hang on, but that's, <laughs> that's not where God's going with it. He's going, well, the day, you're just meant to have a day where you don't do anything and you rest and you just be with me that's it i think it i just i honestly think it's odd that there would even be a command to stop doing stuff don't you think that's odd and it's so that you can be refreshed now obviously in i'm not going to go big time into what's changed because of uh uh, Jesus in terms of the Sabbath will do a fair bit on the meaning of that later on but obviously we worship on a Sunday it appears that now it doesn't matter what day it is but there's probably still a good reason there or a good impulse to actually have some rest Exodus 31 you shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you listen to this everyone who profanes it shall be put to death well, God is actually deadly serious literally about you resting isn't that bizarre? Like breaking the Sabbath in the Old Testament is a capital offence. <laughs> like it'd be hard to find one of your bosses who tells you to stop working, wouldn't it? Everyone always wants more out of you. But here's God saying, listen, one day a week, I want you to stop. And if you don't stop, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying. Or someone needs to put you to death. 
Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Now you think, that's a bit harsh. Well, well, what's he actually asking you to do? He's asking you just to rest and to stop. That's really interesting. And I mean, it doesn't it? I, I think it says something about humanity that God can say, I want you to stop and rest, and we start thinking, oh, that's, that's onerous. That's, that's a heavy weight, God. You've just placed a heavy weight on our shoulders. We've actually got to stop. You know, I was talking to someone this morning, and I said, we've kind of muddled the work thing. We're down in a five-day week instead of a six-day week, and that's all fair enough, but I think we've muddled everything. We've muddled work, and we've muddled rest. And I think God's into people working hard, and he's into people resting hard too. True? And that's why I think this is a good time of the year for us to talk about the Sabbath because we get to the end of the year and people got their tongues hanging out and they're tired and you know what you need? Well, you need rest. <laughs> that's what you need. Check this out. Six days. This is Exodus 35. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work in it shall be put to death. This is, I mean, he's serious about this. Exodus 31. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us. Amen. I uh, spent a bit of time, uh, I mean, you can kind of understand. Here's, let me tell you this. The Jews set up a system of things to protect the Sabbath. Obviously, if there's something that you could get killed for, right, you probably want to set a few fences up around that thing so that you don't end up doing it, all right? Now, I'm not saying whether that's good or not, but I can completely understand why they've done it. So what the Jews did is they came up with 39 um, laws or rules about the Sabbath to make sure that they didn't kind of blow it on the Sabbath. All right. Now, this week, I've actually um, found what I think is a reliable translation of the Mishnah, uh, which is the Oral Torah, and I've had a bit of a read of it. It's really, really interesting because you do get a really strong sense of the religious nature of it and the law-keeping. And in seven, in the Mishnah, Trakate, Shabbat, I don't know, I haven't said that the right way, seven and section two, it talks about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. Listen to this. The principal acts of labour are 40 less one. That is, sowing... Plowing, reaping, this is what you're not allowed to do. Binding into sheaves. So you notice here the one that Jesus busted was the third one, which was reaping, right? You're not allowed to do that. Winnowing, fruit cleaning, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, wool shearing, bleaching, combing, dyeing, spinning, warping, making two spindle trees, weaving two threads, separating two threads in the warp, tying a knot, untying a knot, sewing on with two stitches, tearing in order to sew together with two stitches, hunting deer, slaughtering the same, skinning them, salting them, preparing the hides, scraping the hair off, cutting it, writing two single letters or characters, erasing in order to write two single letters, building, demolishing, uh, in order to rebuild, kindling, extinguishing, hammering, transferring from one place to another. These are the principal acts of labour, 40 less one. That's the rules. Now, Jesus just kind of walks straight over them, in, in, in a sense, in, in actually reaping here. But I want to just stop at this point in time 
and ask you this question. What do you reckon it says about humanity that it's so difficult for us to stop and to have rest? Why does God actually have to make a command for people to stop doing stuff? Don't you think that's interesting? Some of you are probably sitting there and you go, I, I, there's someone next to me and they probably just, they need the command to actually do something. <laughs> All right? They actually need to do some work. Now, he makes that command too. But isn't it interesting that he's kind of going, look, you actually just need to, to stop. You know? And some of you, I mean, I've been a bit uh, just thinking about preaching on this topic. Some, some of you are probably going to be going, oh, see, so he's getting legalistic about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. I'm just going, oh, well, you don't, if you're thinking that right now, you don't get me. And I don't think you get God. And I don't think you get the nature of the Sabbath and what it's meant to be for. See, as soon as you start thinking about this is a legalistic thing, this is a heavy load, you've missed it. You've missed the way that God originally intended it to be. It was meant to be, and this is what Jesus says, and we'll get to this in a bit, um, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. As soon as you start thinking, oh, this stuff I've got to do, you're thinking that man was made for the purposes of the Sabbath rather than the Sabbath was made for men. There's a command to stop. There's a command to rest, stop working. I mean, isn't it, I find it amazing. Like, just think about this for a moment. God has made you in such a way that you're going to spend a third of your life asleep, roughly. Nathan's probably thinking, oh, I wish it was a third today. You think about it, sleep is probably one of the weakest places a human can be in. It's the most vulnerable. I mean, I was talking to someone else today and they just thought, imagine what you could do at that time if we didn't have to sleep. And that actually speaks a little bit to the psyche of humanity, doesn't it? And I think it's probably, and this is a bit of a free hit, but I think it's even more of a problem in a continually connected society. We're just on all the time. And just doing stuff all the time. We're connected to stuff and thinking about stuff. When's the time where you don't do stuff? When's the time... I mean, one of the things I think we really lack big time in our culture is, uh, is times of genuine, deep, honest, reflective times. Because we don't have any time. There's no space anymore to have any reflective things and any reflective times. And it's not just you're going to sleep all day, one day a week, is it? It's a God-oriented rest. It's not just a physical rest. I think probably some of us have probably got the wrong idea about God when it comes to the Sabbath. You see, maybe we think about the discipline of it and how hard it is. And to be sure, anything that's worthwhile in the Scriptures takes a bit of work to defend it. But what about the refreshing that could actually come and the energy that could come from being correctly oriented to God? I mean, I'm sure most of us who have followed Christ for a while would know that being correctly oriented to God is the most energy-inspiring and energy-filling place to be in. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And it is genuinely refreshing. There's a a scripture in Acts where... uh, the people are encouraged that, uh, that they should seek God because times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And that's kind of what the Sabbaths are meant to be, is a time of refresh- refreshing, a time of connecting with God and a time of physical rest and refreshment. This is not another thing that you have to do. This is something that you get to do. 
You see, what does it tell you about you if your view of life is that sleeping is a chore? Ah, what do I have to do that again for? I wish I didn't have to sleep. I mean, that says something about you, doesn't it? If that's your view on sleeping, it says something about you. And if you think that keeping the Sabbath is something you need to do to keep God happy, that says something about you also. And it says something about your view of the Sabbath and what God's up to. This is going to be a long quote, but I think this is really worth reading. There's a couple of profound things in here. This is a, a theologian called Garland. He says this, The Christian Sunday began as a day of worship, celebrating the historical event of the resurrection of Jesus, the foundation of our faith. It became like the Sabbath, a day of rest. A day of rest is a gift. Hear that? It's a gift. Philo, a prominent and learned member of the Jewish community in Alexandria in the first century, defended the Jews' custom of not working on the Sabbath. He argued that it was not because of any indolence on their part. The object was to give men relaxation from continuous and unending toil and by refreshing their bodies with a regularly calculated system of remissions to send them out renewed to their old activities. For a breathing spell enables not merely ordinary people, but athletes also to collect their strength with a stronger force behind them to undertake promptly and patiently each of the tasks set before them. And that's true. There's enough evidence out there to show that good rest actually means that it, it, you've got improved performance. This is a really interesting section that he writes. In this century, Abraham Heschel profoundly expresses this value of the sabbath for our technological age it is a day when we can celebrate time rather than space our modern technological society can boast of our conquest of space but we have not conquered the essential ingredient of existence time it's quite profound i think it is the realm of existence where the goal is not to have but to be not to own but to give Listen, just think about this in terms of having a day off a week dedicated to the Lord and just having some rest. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in accord. Many spend all their lives acquiring material possessions, but shrink from sacred moments. Everyone needs a time to be able to lay aside the feverish pursuit of success, trying to wring profits from the earth or to amass more goods. Herschel concludes, six days a week we live under the tyranny of things of space. On the Sabbath, we try to become attuned to holiness in time. It is a day on which we are called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the results of creation to the mystery of creation, from the world of creation to the creation of the world. In our culture, we have lost this gift of a day when, we're, when we can reconnect with the holy and recharge our spiritual batteries. Our daily struggles may produce economic triumphs, but can make our lives a spiritual wasteland. Love this next quote. Lily Tomlin said the trouble with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. <laughs> and he closes with this. He says, we need time for enabling our souls and must enjoy this gift. Now, some of you might go, yeah, but you can just have... And this is one that I've heard before, and there have been times when I've pushed pretty hard in certain... Uh, context that people need to have some rest and there needs to be some stillness and people come back and they go yeah but it doesn't necessarily mean physical stillness we can just have stillness in our hearts well i want to say to you this morning that i think people are embodied souls and uh, your heart affects your body and your body affects your heart and i think it would just be a nonsense statement to go to an old testament jew and say just have stillness in your heart and don't do it physically they just go oh that's rubbish 
You know, I mean, you look at Psalm 23, which it, it is a metaphor and it is poetry, but, you know, it says the good shepherd, um, the Lord is my shepherd, he makes me lie down beside still waters. I mean, one of the things that happens in counselling and psychology, one of the things that's really on the go at the moment is, is mindfulness. What's mindfulness? It's really, at one level, it's getting the body to stop and hopefully if you can get the body to stop, the mind will stop too. I think we're connected and I think that physical stillness is, is really, really important. Yeah, I might just read this. I'll just encourage you, for some of you, I mean, I, I think there's probably value in you developing your own personal liturgy, to be honest, um, because you've got it already. Uh, but for it to be a little bit more informed, Eugene Peterson has written a really good book that the project owns. So if you want to borrow it, just let me know. But it's called Answering God. And it's uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, thinking and and meditation on the psalms as a tool for prayer and one of the things he says in there is he goes psalm 5 is a morning prayer because it's kind of get up and take the world by the scruff of the neck kind of prayer psalm 4 is a nighttime prayer that you could pray on your bed listen to this and i just encourage you maybe you could have this next to your bed and maybe you could pray this before you go to sleep at night um, answer me when i call O god of my righteousness you've given me relief when i was in distress be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Amen. How long shall my honour be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Listen to this. And this is where it starts getting the flavour of the psalmist putting their trust in the Lord. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts, your own hearts on your beds and be silent. You see this? It's like a whole bunch of stuff's happening in the day. And you just go... I don't know what the heck that was. But on my bed at night, I'm not going to get angry and sin. I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You'll put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. abound. Listen to this. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. <laughs> True? It's just got that nighttime kind of feel to it, you know? Whether it be struggles you've had with your kids, whether it be struggles you've had at work, I'm going to lay all this down and I'm going to slip into a most vulnerable state that I can be in and I'm going to trust in Him. There are many other opportunities for you to do stuff like that, but that, at the end of the day, is the origin of the Sabbath. The second thing I wanted to look at today was the meaning of the Sabbath. And you can see the story there about how David and his compatriots get hungry and they go into the uh, temple and they eat the bread that they ought not um, to eat in terms of the, uh, the law. This goes back to what I was saying before. You can see here one of the things uh, that Jesus is saying very clearly is the point of the Sabbath is not to keep the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath is what it means for men and women and it's so that men and women can be helped it's a time of refreshing and rest but it's actually a bit more than that it's actually uh, in the new testament we find out that the sabbath is a bit of a foretaste of a coming rest that's going to be greater than the sabbath but i want to go through a few things that i think the sabbath meant even in the old testament context the first one is this it's actually a reminder to trust 
Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the sons, the son of your servant woman, and the alien may be refreshed. Do you know what you've got to do when you stop working? Well, you need to stop working, but everything that is in your head that you need to do, you've just got to say, I'm going to give that to you. And I think the rhythm of having a day, a week, where you stop doing stuff is a good rhythm because it's a, it's a, a weekly, regular reminder that you're not ultimate. Your efforts are not ultimate. What you're able to do is not ultimate. Your ability to control your world is not ultimate. God's the one who's ultimate. And I'm going to put the tools down for a day a week because it's going to be okay if I'm not doing anything. And when you get spun up in terms of anxiety and you kind of get that control freak kind of thing going on and you never tell anyone because you don't like to tell them and you think, I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this, there's what can seep in really quickly is this sense of just wanting to control the world and that everything ultimately depends upon you. Does that make sense? And the Sabbath helps you to break that because there's a day a week where you're just going, look, it's not ultimately depending upon me. It ultimately depends upon him and i think that god has built in a rhythm of trust into our very humanity that's why i mean i think that's really what sleep's meant to be sleep's meant to be part of this rhythm of trust that god wants you can't go i mean i had a whole 60 minutes episode on sleep where uh, the journey went without sleep for 40 hours um and then he tried to drive a car i mean you just can't do it properly without killing people it's a reminder to trust. The second thing I think the uh, Sabbath is, it's a reminder that it's God that actually makes us holy. You see here at the end of this one in Exodus 31 that we read earlier, uh, this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Sanctify is to make someone holy and to set them apart. Now, this certainly has an expression in the Old Testament context where the Jews would actually be known as a unique nation and a set-apart nation for God by the way that they'd observe the Sabbath. But what you're going to find later is as we get down to what it means by Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath, what you're going to notice there is you're going to notice that um, there's a little bit of a spiritual significance to that as well where God's actually the one who's purifying people and making them holy in a, in a moral sense. And, and there's an, kind of an origin in the Sabbath there as well. You see, I think there's a link. This is what I'm really saying. I think there's a link between the work of you trying to be good enough for God and the Sabbath. And when you stop trying to be good enough for God, the Sabbath is kind of, the bottom line is that God's doing the heavy lifting. The third thing uh, that I think the Sabbath uh, means, uh, at least from the Old Testament, before we get into the New and what Jesus, how Jesus connects with it, is that the Sabbath is actually a reminder about freedom from slavery. Do you notice this scripture? You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, have one day a week off. See that? He broke your slavery, so have the day, have the day off. Now, there's a good chance that if you don't have good rest time on a weekly basis i would suggest probably there's a good chance that you're a slave to something and i don't at this point in time please don't feel bad about what i'm saying about the sabbath right you see the problem like if you start feeling bad you just go oh i don't do a sabbath it's like it's like you're made for the sabbath 
Does that make sense? You kind of you get it wrong if you kind of have that reaction. So I, I, I really this morning I just really want to encourage you. Don't don't go that way. See it as God really generously providing something good for you to enjoy. So let's get to Jesus. The Pharisees say you should not be doing that with your boys. That's actually working. Jesus says, listen, fellas, this whole thing wasn't started so that people could serve the Sabbath. It was started so that the Sabbath would serve people. And then he goes on to say, very provocatively, I might add, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, I want you to notice something here. Do you remember this? I showed you... um, through Genesis chapter 1 here at the end of each day in creation there was evening and there was morning the sixth day and then in Genesis 2 1 to 3 we get this sense like there's going to be a perpetual Sabbath now because God's made everything good and it's done and it's finished and it's complete note this who's the first person who actually starts working now when you get to Genesis chapter 3, you've got the fall of mankind, which is where mankind decided to be their own God and to turn away from God. Who's the first person that starts working? Well, you know what? It's actually God. So there's a sense in which we broke his Sabbath. Now, you know what's really interesting about this? Is it's interesting just to look at what sin actually does to rest because turning away from god not following him does some significant violence to rest but it's interesting here that the very first thing that happens after the fall in terms of work is god breaks his sabbath and what's he breaking his sabbath for to cover up the nakedness of his kids and he slaughters some animals and skins them and puts skins on his kids and what we've actually got now is a sense that god's been working since then and there's a a side to it that i think it's kind of a shame that we did it to him to be honest he kind of had it all set up he was at rest it looked like it was going to be a perpetual rest we blew it and now he's been working ever since (laughs) but he doesn't do it as a reluctant worker you see the word sabbath actually means deep rest and deep peace And it's actually close to being a a synonym for shalom. And shalom is a state of wholeness and flourishing in every dimension of life. And you know what Jesus is saying when he's saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath? Is he saying he is the Sabbath? He is the source of the deep rest that we need. And he's actually come to change the way that we rest. Because you know what? Doing a day a week of rest is not going to be enough for you. That's ultimately not the kind of rest that you need in an ultimate sense it's only a taste of the deep divine rest that jesus has come and he is the source of it you see it's because god has foregone his rest that we can have rest do you see that if he wanted to stay in a restful state we would stay in a disturbed sinful state and there'd just be cracks all over the place in humanity but the fact that he's prepared to get to work the first time he gets to work is to sacrifice some animals to save adam and eve in terms of their shame and to cover their shame but he keeps working the whole way through history and as i was thinking about it this week i thought what an amazing thing 
that God has continued to work the whole way through human history. And I, I was thinking about it and I thought, yeah, that's probably about right because um, sin and disobedience to God, what does it do? Well, it just stirs things up. It brings unease around the place. It shatters peace. So our only hope is that there'd be someone who wouldn't need to actually have peace in the way that we desperately need it in a sense or someone who would forego the peace so that they could come and work to bring peace in us. So what is this deeper rest? I just want to read this out of John 5, 9 to 17. This is uh, something I've just been referring to. Um, Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath and John writes about it in, in his gospel. He says, now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's a Sabbath. It's not right for you to pick up your bed. Now the guy's just been healed, right? It's just like, you're against the rules, champ. You're not allowed to carry your bed. And so Jesus had just done this miraculous thing and they bust him for it. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They said, well, who's that guy? And uh, the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had been, sorry, Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you're well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. This is beautiful. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. See, it's because God's working that you can have rest. There's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Psalm 121. You probably have heard it before if you've been around the church a bit. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not what? Slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. There's nothing like a broken, sinful world in terms of it needing someone who doesn't go to sleep on the job. You get the sense here that God has broken his Sabbath and he's, he's on the job. And the great hope of you being able to go to sleep at night time and be, being able to rest well is because he's working. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? You see, God's working to deal with sin. You see, sin introduces a restless fracture into the world. In fact, sin is the great restlessness. And God and his working is the great hope of weak people. Hebrews 4 verse 9 to 10 speaks of a deeper rest that Jesus came to bring. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You know what this work is that God's come to give us rest from? I'll tell you what it is. And it shows up the very first time that sin shows up and that's self-justification. The continual drive for you to prove yourself. The working that you do to earn your own salvation to be good enough. We work to prove ourselves. Tim Keller says that there's a work underneath our work. And what he's talking about is he's talking about how often uh, our work uh, gets associated with our, our identity. And we try to work really, really, really hard at something because that means something about who we are. And we try to be good enough by doing that. And he, he says what Jesus has done is he's come to, to take that layer of work underneath your work so that you don't have a complex kind of working thing. You can just work freely and you don't have to actually be proving something underneath. 
You see, the work underneath our work to try and be someone and to prove something or to justify ourselves or be good enough is never, ever over until we rest in the gospel that Jesus has dealt with our identity and who we are. You see, it's the work of Jesus on your behalf that means that you can actually rest and you can actually do work for work's sake instead of doing it uh, for a double master. And it's this work underneath our work. This is the real irony of it. It's this work to be justified, to be good enough underneath the work that we do that actually moves people toward religion. And this is what's kind of happening with the Pharisees is there's all these laws and the laws, if if they keep the laws, they're actually going to be good enough. And so there's this work underneath what they're trying to do. And what does Jesus say right at the end when he's dying on the cross in John chapter 19? After this, Jesus, knowing that it was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture i thirst a jar full of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth when jesus had received the sour wine he said it is now you know what's interesting about that is that's starting to sound a lot like genesis chapter 2 isn't it that god's gone it's finished it's it's there's a sabbath rest but what's jesus doing jesus is actually doing atonement he's doing forgiveness for people he's actually dealing with the work that sits underneath our work the work that sits underneath a lot of what we do where we're trying to prove ourselves and he's saying it's finished and finally there's an opportunity for us to rest on the cross jesus experienced restlessness the restlessness of separation from god so that we can have the deep rest of knowing that he loves us and that our sins have been forgiven I want to close with uh, a clip. Clips from a movie called Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire is uh, probably one of the main things about Chariots of Fire is it's about a runner called Eric Liddell. He's a very good runner. And he's a, um, he's a Scot. His parents were uh, Chinese missionaries. And um, he, uh, he actually went to the Olympics. And uh, one of the heats... One of the races, actually, in his favourite event, the 100, was on a Sunday. And he refused to run in it because it was on a Sunday. And so there's one side to Chariots of Fire that is all about um, the priority that he gives um, to Sunday and to God in his Sunday. But there's a whole other side to it as well, which has to do with a, uh, a competitor of his, Abraham's. The whole, it would appear the whole way through the movie is feels like he needs to prove something by, um, by running. And so you've got this comparison between this guy who's going, well, I'm not going to run in my favourite event um, because it's on Sunday. And this other guy who's, trying to, who's got that work underneath his work all the time where he's trying to prove himself and trying to be something. And it's, it's quite a stark difference there. So what ends up happening in the end is... Um, Liddell had the opportunity because a competitor offered to give his place to him to run in, I think it was the 400, which wasn't his favourite event. Uh, and I'm going to show you this clip. It goes for about four minutes. It just shows you uh, Abrams um, getting uh, rubbed down by a masseuse. And just listen to the work underneath his work. And then at the end, you'll see uh, Eric Liddell in the race. 
and some very famous quotes that, um, that come out of this, uh, this movie. You
So where does the power come from to see the race to its end from within? physical rest yes would it be helpful to have a day off a week yes what would it be like though if you never ever had to prove yourself ever when you uh, attempted things there was no hint at all that you needed to prove yourself when you were successful, you didn't take any credit because you don't have to prove yourself. And when you failed, you weren't bummed out and completely shamed about it because it didn't say anything about you. That's the Sabbath. That's the Sabbath that Jesus came to bring you. And the other ones are shadows. Now you get to do them all, but the other ones are shadows. And I pray... I'm going to pray for you in a minute that you'd experience the depth of that Sabbath rest. <laughs> 